Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your College Hooper of the Week, Paul White. Paul White from Georgetown and also Oregon. I was just trying to find any sort of way to slip in Georgetown uh, I, this is part of the playbill, Taylor, but I can't hold it in anymore. They broke the streak. Good for them. So I had to get a former Hoya, although Paul White wasn't necessarily known for his time in D.C., for his time at Georgetown, because he made a Final Four run and was an integral part of that Ducks team that went to the Final Four. We're talking Tyler Dorsey, Dylan Brooks, and, of course, Paul White. He is... I know I had mentioned College Hooper of the Week, but last time we had Luke and Bob Mute, I referenced that as College Hooper of the Day. Let me rephrase that and change it. College Hooper of the Day, Paul White. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. And I was going to say the shark at the underscore shark underscore VV. That's why I held it up. I got to get used to it. Uh, feel free to follow him. But like we you said, still no follow him there. though. Yeah. Yeah. He can still follow. Follow. He's still tweeting only exclusively about college basketball. So that's still right. a good follow. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I don't want to edit that out. Let's open the curtains. As we record this, happy Wednesday to you. Hey, how was Barrett Jackson, a Scottsdale staple? Dude, it's wild. Uh, the if you've never been, if any of our listeners, do me a favor. Tell to, tell us yeah. tell us what Barrett Jackson is. First yeah, yeah, yeah. So if uh, it's the country's well, Barrett Jackson is a car auction company, a company that operates all over the world. Uh, their largest show of the year, I believe, it's their largest show of the year. Uh, is here in Scottsdale each year. So there's like 1,700 cars that are being auctioned off this week uh, in at Westworld in Scottsdale. So most more more of our listeners are probably familiar with like the Phoenix Open, or even if they haven't been, they are aware of it. The Think Wasted of like Management the, Open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think of like the Phoenix Open, but for like middle-aged car guys is what Barrett-Jackson is, or as I like to describe it as, the uh the state fair for rich people um because they're selling obviously there's like ferraris and all these you know like james bond's car there jfk's cars there uh, amongst a thousand uh you know high-end luxury vehicles um a ton of american muscle cars stuff like that but for me i'm only like kind of slightly a car guy like i know i know the cars i don't know 
I know maybe why one would be more expensive than the other. I, I can't like rebuild any of these, right? Uh, like maybe my dad could, and that's who I went with today. So he's got a little more interest in the car side. For me, I'm more interested in the uh, the spectacle that it is, where you walk in and it's just like, it's not just cars that are for sale. It's it's there's brand new $500,000 boats and $3 million helicopters and like just a bunch of dumb stuff that's wild when you got 500,000 people that matriculate through the doors uh, each year for Barrett Jackson. So uh, went there today, had a few beers, uh, looked at some cars. It was a beautiful 66 degree sunny day here in Scottsdale. Um, and I'm going to pat myself on the back, if I may, here, Sub. Um, walked, put 15,000 steps on the on the ground there at Barrett Jackson today. Then came home and hopped on the Peloton for the first time in quite a while. Had to knock the dust wow. off the thing. So I, I thought to myself, well, I'm already going to be my calves are already going to be sore tomorrow from all these from walking 10 miles today. So I might as well just just dive into it. So speaking of walking, how was your trek in the snow today? See, I didn't even want to bring it up because of what a lovely day you had and you spent time with your dad, which was great. Also, I, I want the listener to know that you are a very handy man around the house, even in the garage, maybe not with cars, but you are a handy guy. Uh, that being said, my day handy in a lot of rooms in the house. If you, <laughs> if you know, yeah, that that I didn't need to know. I also don't believe that. But um, my day was terrible. It was awful. I didn't actually. the The issue was that I was driving in this snow, so I had to go into the office today, which is about twenty miles west of the city. Long story short, because our president was in town, and apparently he's. He, we view him as some sort of sultan, uh, and and we have to show face. I didn't see him at all today, so that was worthless. Um, the snow, roads are terrible. Chicago traffic is awful as it is. Um, it was just a waste of a day. I mean, like I got a lot of stuff done in the office, but I could have been watching, I don't know, reruns of Guys Grocery Games or been checking out last night's highlights, things of that nature. So that was awful. It took about an hour both ways. Uh, I left the office around 5.36 PM. And let me, let me say another thing real quick, Taylor, just to really get this off my chest and to go a full, full 180 again of your day and description. If you're, if you're a guy or a girl at your work and you think you're hilarious or the man or the woman at your, at your office, you probably suck in real life. Like there is nothing worse than someone who thinks and is probably quote unquote labeled as cool or the, the, the cool crowd and at the water cooler or in the, in the kitchen, because I know for a fact in real social settings away from your cubes, when you have to talk about something outside of reports, I'm not even talking about college basketball or sports. Talk about your kids, life, food, anything you fail miserably at that because when we go to a happy hour and I ask you about your kids, you're going to be able to turn that three degrees of separation into the amount of volume that you booked or revenue that you booked for the company. So just a little PSA to folks out there and then I'll stop ranting. Watch out for the people that think they're super cool in the office because they're probably the lamest people in regular society. Oh, dude, I have to, uh, I will fully admit that I have to dial my conversations about real estate back. I, you want to, you can bring up any topic and give me one and a half sentences and I can run that into, into why it's, how it's real estate related. So I often have to catch myself at, at, at events where I'm like, okay, Taylor, not everybody cares about this shit. No, no, no. But you have the ability, cause I've known you for this long. You have the ability to have a conversation and meet someone at their level when they want to talk about literally anything outside of real estate. Uh, you don't. So I, I think people do that in one and a half steps, talk about their own, their own comfort with work because they're not able to do it or to talk about real life things. I think you do it because you're that passionate about real estate. But if I were to be like, Taylor, shut up, I don't care about the closing price or the housing market or lenders or anything like that. I'd be like, Hey, what are you and Danielle doing for Valentine's Day? I think you'd be able to tell me and have a real conversation. 
I also appreciate that we started the, each of the last two episodes with it, with you waxing poetically about uh, some of my uh, uh, abilities. So I appreciate this is a great new uh, trend that I hope we can keep this up like every week. That's up to you. But, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. I haven't hated it. Well, we got to let it happen organically. That's what we got to do. TD, what I want to do, though, now dive into the playbill. We have a few items that I want to touch base on. And I want to start with bubble teams, Taylor, because I feel like no one's really taken a look at them. This is probably a little early to discuss. You know, the, it's it's not just yet blind resume season, right? You know, when you come back from commercial break and Fox or CBS or ESPN is going to say on one on one side, you have this blind resume on the other, compare the two and see who gets in. Uh, we're not there just yet. So I want to jump the gun. I want to get ahead of the curve and talk a little bit, Taylor, about some teams on the bubble. And I just leveraged what Joey Brackett's put out and a few other bracketologists in terms of the bubble. So let's go through these. Uh, you have them up on your screen, but I think uh, let's 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 run through them. And I just want to get your thoughts on some of these teams and where you think they're headed, how they're trending. Last four buys, Boise State, Maryland, Pitt, Ohio State. Okay, Boise State has played very, very well. Uh, they got they they had a tough loss in the pit actually uh, last Friday, but that was in overtime. I think Boise State is well on their way to the tournament. Maryland, I don't necessarily understand, uh, but they have they, they have a tough schedule in the Big Ten. Pitt, I think, on Wednesday night got a nice win against Wake Forest, uh, and then Ohio State's looked awful. Last four in Arizona State swept by the LA schools, uh, but. They've actually had an all right season. Northwestern just beat Wisconsin. They're doing okay. I'm buying their ASU Northwestern. Kentucky, I think, is well on their way to the tournament without having to break a sweat, but they're there at the last four in. And then Penn State, troubling, troubling loss at the rack. I know Rutgers is very difficult to play at, but they got smoked. And remember, I'm a Micah Shrewsbury guy. So the last four in kind of makes sense. I expect Kentucky to really elevate and move past that. First four out. Oklahoma, I think they stink. Them, West Virginia, Texas Tech, they got to be eliminated. I know we love and Pavlov over, over the Big 12. Those three teams are the clear bottom three that I don't believe deserve uh, to be in the field. Oklahoma State, they're actually pretty decent. Just lost to Texas, uh, but I like what Oklahoma State's done. I'm good with them as the first four out. Let's see if they can work their way on the right side of the bubble. West Virginia, I just talked about. USC, I think... Right now, again, they're in the first four out. They're going to have a major opportunity against UCLA. They beat UCLA. I think they're in the tournament as if it started today. Then next four out, Nevada, Utah State, Florida, Wake Forest. Wake Forest needs to do a little bit more, has to tighten the screws just a bit more because they have some pretty solid wins, and I think we'll see them in the field of 68. Uh, Florida, I can't really get a grasp on Utah state. We'll see what plays out in the mountain West. Same thing with Nevada who had a great win against new Mexico. And we'll touch on it a little bit, albeit very controversial. So the next four out, I think those are the teams that I'm really looking at. Those are some of my thoughts, Taylor. I know that was a lot to endure. Let's have you jump in. So my initial thought on all uh, 16 of these teams uh, is how many good basketball programs there are on the bubble right now uh without fact checking i think seven of these teams have been the number one seed in the tournament at some point uh and not probably too distant past maryland pitt ohio state kentucky oklahoma florida i, th I think was west was west virginia uh with, well what's your statute like, of limitation 10 years. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma state's obviously a very good basketball program. USC is a, ba a decent basketball program. Wake forest, pretty good basketball program. So my initial thoughts are, um, yeah, actually some pretty good, uh, schools, um, here on the bubble. I think Boise state, I'm totally with you. I think Boise state, um, they've impressed me a lot this year. We mentioned it on the last program, but considering everything they've, they lost from last year, uh, they've put together a really nice year this year. Maryland might make it, but if it's not at home, then you might as well just bet against them. And obviously the tournament's not at home. So I, I'm kind of out on Maryland. Um, 
that being said, they did just beat Wisconsin as well. Uh, I, can't, I, I think you mentioned that. Um, so, but Wisconsin also sucks. So that's not really we'll talk about another school that you can't figure out. Wisconsin, uh, they're they're so up and down. Uh, Pitts had a nice couple of weeks. Uh, Kentucky, uh, I think I'm in total agreement with you on that. They're going to uh, continue. Uh, I think their trajectory upward. I'm not saying that they're going to do anything, um, you know, in the tournament necessarily, but I feel like they're going to be good enough uh, to at least make the tournament. And they've got a little bit of name cachet that might, you know, might help them a little bit. Um, USC is tough for me. They've been so poor or they were so poor in the beginning of the year. Um, like you said, big game against UCLA. That's could be a season kind of defining uh, a game for them. Um, ASU is another con a confusing one. Arizona State, um, you know, everything was churning along pretty well until this last week, last weekend, and they get swept uh, as which wasn't completely surprising, um, but certainly hurt their odds. I don't buy Florida either. Uh, I'm kind of out on the next four out. I think I'm out on all four of those teams. I mean, obviously we're talking about teams that are significantly out of the tournament at this point, not significantly, but pretty far out of the tournament. They still got to get over essentially at least four or more teams at minimum. Um, so I'm, I'm out on Florida. I'm out on Oklahoma. I think I'm out on West Virginia, unfortunately too, as much as I like huggy huggy, but I think those last four buys, you've got some real decent basketball being played by Boise state. I think that's of all of these schools, Boise state is going to sneak up on, on some folks, I think in the tournament. Um, and it's one of those things that last year's team probably was a little better than this team, but this team is just flying under the radar so much, just kind of like we talked about Auburn on the last program that obviously people naturally don't care about Boise state, but they're, they're sneaking up in the mountain West. And I kind of like them out of all of these teams, uh, outside of maybe Kentucky, just from a talent standpoint, but Boise state and Kentucky are probably the two of these, uh, on the bubble that I like the most. Looking at this again, I want to highlight Ohio State under the last four buys. Again, what Brackets means by that is it's essentially he, – he describes it as a buy because the last four in have to play those playing games, uh, usually at Dayton. And so the last four quote-unquote buys, those four teams don't have to play that game along with what the other 64 – or like 60 some odd teams. You, you, you see what I'm saying. Um, so the last four buys very clearly in according to him. Why is Ohio state in that? I don't understand that. Don't they have like nine losses thus far on the year? They have losses to Minnesota. They should have lost to Rutgers twice. They got away with one in Columbus. Uh, th do they have that many strong wins? Is this just because we're trying to see Bryce Sensabaugh pop? Is this because Chris Holtman's been to the tournament every single year? Is this because we're looking at the untapped potential? Is this potentially, and now let me put my my uh, tinfoil hat on, are we trying to get the Buckeyes on the main stage so that Bronny can actually commit to them and we can finally have a James at Ohio State? What the hell's going on here, Taylor? Why is Ohio State relatively firmly in the field? Yeah, I think it's all just because the people thought that they had good wins and decent losses earlier in the year. If you look at their losses, they're to San Diego State, Duke, and North Carolina that were in the first like month and a half of the season. And at the time, we're like, oh, those are decent losses. You know, you look now and you're like, those aren't good losses. Like that, Duke sucks. At they're this okay point. losses. They're, they're not. They're not great losses anymore for sure. You're right. Right. You know at they lost to Purdue by two. So I think it was kind of still like, Oh, this team is like, they just keep hanging on, but they don't win. Like they're not. Well, what do you always say, out. Taylor? What do you always say? Why do we always reward people for like seven decent wins? Go win some of these games, man. Anyone can schedule anyone and, and be somewhat competitive. Yeah, it's kind of like how I think about UCLA currently in a way where it's like, they have certainly beat everybody. They should have, but you don't get credit for losing to the good teams. I mean, that's the SEC football rule, right? The good, the the good loss. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you're completely right. Where it's like, or Gonzaga, half that happens all the time. Oh man, Gonzaga he went 32 and two. Well, it's like, well, yeah, they only played two good teams all year, you know, and they lost to both of them. So I'm with you though. I have no, I mean, I have really no 
positive thing to say about Ohio State. They're a very, very average bass. They're below average, maybe. They're, I think, 12th in the Big Ten. So, I mean, if they're in the tournament, uh, I, I don't know. I just don't I, – I, I see no real – positive anything from from getting Ohio State into the tournament unless they just want maybe get them into the play-in so they can just fill Dayton's arena with Ohio State fans which are also which are also Dayton fans in some circles in some communities related to you it's ridiculous you have that's that's how we need to ask about this is is your your people your relatives not by blood not by blood I will I will point out I I am I am a Southwest Ohio guy. Dayton just lost to six and thirteen Rhode Island uh, here on on Wednesday night, and my Billikens pick for the A ten is looking pretty solid. I forget. Did you take the Billikens to win the A ten? Dayton is surprisingly bad. Oh yeah, they have seven losses on the year in a terrible conference. I think what do they have? Three losses in in the A ten. Yeah, I mean, I know they, they kind of remind me a little bit, unfortunately, of Wyoming this year, a team that really had a lot of positivity going into the season. And, But at least I'll give Wyoming the injury excuse. Sure, sure. I, I, I'm just saying that, yeah, I mean, a team that was like, oh, yeah, this is like quite a legitimate pick to win the conference, and now they're not even not even close. Um, what was the question you asked me about Dayton, about Ohio State? Well, no, no, no question, but – just going back to Ohio state, if I'm looking at this graphic again, I would push USC to a last four in put Ohio state as a first four out or shit, even a next four out and then put Kentucky as a last four by imagine having to play Kentucky in a play in game in Dayton, which is very close to Lexington. Ooh, that would be brutal. So T these are some very interesting uh, bubble teams that here's what I I'll think say about Ohio state though monitoring. Go ahead. For what it's worth, and this is where you start getting into the muddled discussion of like Ken Palm and metrics and stuff. Ohio State's twenty third in Ken Palm, which well, there's I no like, way. There's no way in my mind that Ohio State's twenty third best team. But I think part of that is because they haven't. If you look at their losses, which obviously you have to win the game, right? You play. That's what you play for. Uh, some some people have said. They haven't lost. They're like the reverse Minnesota Vikings. I don't think they don't have a loss for uh, by more than like nine points to any of these teams. So, uh, excuse me, 11 points to San Diego State. So they're not getting, they've got a bunch of losses, but none of them are getting, they're not getting smoked by any of these teams. So, I mean, I think that's probably why they still hang out as they are in the, uh, in Ken Palm. Um, I, I don't see it personally, and I'm a big Ken Palm guy. Like Kentucky is behind them, Boise State is behind them, some of these other bubble teams are behind them. So uh, it's certainly interesting. USC is down at 48 in Ken Palm, um, but I think if USC and Ohio State played on a neutral court today, who are you picking? I'd take USC. I'm probably picking USC too. So um, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it with Ohio State, despite what the metrics point. Yeah. Yet again, it is January 26th. So a lot to be discussed, a lot to be played out. And it it goes to the UConn Xavier game from last night. Okay. And it perfectly encapsulates folks. There's no point in anointing or, or throwing away a team, even here in late January. I'm going to keep saying it Taylor because UConn around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, everyone said this is guaranteed final four. They're unbeatable. Oh, now all of a sudden they suck. They've lost like five of their last seven or whatever it is. But then within the game, within the Xavier UConn game, it's, oh man, UConn really does stink. They can't eat. They're they're down 15 to Xavier at home. And then they make a comeback and it's like, oh no, no, no. See, this is the UConn that, that has elite talent that can play at this level. And then they end up losing. It's like, okay, no, they stink again. Do you realize how fickle and stupid you said going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth? Like, Take a minute, get some soup, go to the fridge, go for a walk. All right. We have, like I said, maybe for certain teams, like second week of February, right? I've, I've killed off some teams for sure, but stop going back and forth there. UConn could absolutely finish this season on a terrific kick. Uh, and we'll see what happens with these bubble teams. Taylor, real quick, I want to get your thoughts, though. One of the teams that was not highlighted there, and I don't think they're a bubble team personally, but they've been struggling quite a bit here recently. 
you had some thoughts on Duke. Uh, I actually am going to quote a good friend of the program, Cody Hoxie. Uh, I thought he had a good statement on how he feels about Duke as a Duke fan. Um, You know, obviously, if Whitehead is is seriously hurt, I think they're – I don't want to go off your beautiful, eloquent rant about uh, writing thieves off, but if Whitehead's hurt, like, for significantly, then we're close. Okay. We're just not going to say out. We're just not going to say out loud until second week of February that we're writing them off. But That's here's fair. what he said. I thought I thought it was quite maybe poignant would be the word to put it. Um, I thought it was pretty accurate. But uh, his thoughts were: it's a young team that still looks to be young even at the end of January. And um, well, they're starting centers Ryan Young, right? Who's that? Nice. Hey. <laughs> Way to put that together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. They are. They can't play it on the road either. Uh, do they even have a win on the road this year? I mean, they're, they're struggling mightily to put together um, good wins. Uh, you know, they're home. They, they did beat Miami, um, but that was at home by two. They're another team that if you go back and you're like, okay, who have these guys beat this year? They did beat Xavier early in the year, which is uh, a very good win. They got smoked by Purdue. Um you know, lost or you know, lost to uh, or beat Iowa, which is a which is an okay win at this point. So yeah, I mean, I, I if Whitehead's hurt for a significant amount of time, I mean, they'll make the tournament. They've got enough going for them at this point to make the tournament. I was just joking about them being bubble team, but they're not. Let's put it this way: they're going to trend. If Whitehead's hurt, especially, they're going to trend towards the bubble more so than they are towards the top. You know, well, they won't be a threat. Like, so when I, when I talk about these teams, when I talk about writing off teams, which a lot of people did with Texas, when the beard incident happened, look at them. They're still a top 10 team, which a lot of people are doing with UConn. I'm talking about teams like Texas and UConn that I think still have that danger factor in them come March, where I still think even if they're limping in a little bit, they can make like an elite eight run. Duke's not doing that. So I'm not putting Duke in this type of camp. They're very lukewarm. They're middling. Right. Like I'm not gonna say, oh, I'm writing off Duke or I'm I'm buying them either. Like Duke, if they make the tournament, terrific, but I don't expect them to do diddly in there. Well, if you want to be a threat, you have to be good at something, right? Duke's very middle of the pack in in, in offense and defense. So I mean, it, it, you could at least argue that like, okay, Texas is dangerous well they're, they're very good so it's not a, the best example of texas for what i'm trying to say you know they're the 13th best uh offensive ranked team in the country so it's like okay yeah they could run on they could they're very good on offense you could see them making a run even without chris beard they've held up those numbers you know and uh U- uconn's quite interesting in that regard too they they still are you know their metrics are, are great but at the same time they've now lost six or seven six of their last you know, eight games or whatever it is, you know, but I've seen Metric. dominance from UConn. I have not yeah. seen that with Duke, which is what I think. You're no, to no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Duke hasn't done anything to impress anybody. And I don't think, uh, at least North Carolina just as their rival, who has had kind of a similar year to Duke, even though they started at number one, similar in the sense that it's been underwhelming. At least we saw, and we saw it last year with them where it's like, okay, they went on a run last year. Maybe they can go on a run this year. Duke, there's just nothing at this point i know we have a couple uh good good uh uh duke fans that could maybe respond to this uh in our twitter mentions here after this uh gets posted but um i don't particularly think they're good at anything and yeah i don't they're just not a threat nothing about them this year do i go oh i gotta turn that game on because i gotta see you know gotta make sure i i I got everything right about duke it's like i i I don't think i need to watch all of their games like in previous years when they're you know obviously a threat to win the national championship i'll give filipowski credit he's been terrific this entire season he has been their best player they just need to get a little healthier they like you said they need to take their act on the road jeremy roach has kind of been in and out but yeah like i'm okay with quote-unquote writing off duke but again that rule only applies to teams that I think are threats. You got people in Lawrence freaking out as if they're not the na- defending national champions with Dewan Harris, who needs to be a little bit better on the offensive end, give him a little bit more juice with Jalen Wilson. What the hell are we doing writing off the Jayhawks just because they lost three straight? Oh no. Even if they lose to Kentucky at home, 
I'm, I'm not writing off the Kansas Jayhawks and Bill Self. You're a fool to do so, is what I'm saying. I mean, you can call out their shortcomings. You can call out that they're in a rut. But I don't want to hear, are they done? Are they no longer a Final Four Elite Eight threat? Please shut the hell up and stay away from me if you pose that question. Taylor, let's move on now, though, from some big names that have enjoyed recent success. To I can't get through this without laughing, man, because I'm so thrilled. But at the same time, it's low-key pretty sad. Uh, to another t- big name in college basketball that has just been in the gutter the past few years. Georgetown, they finally break the Whitless streak. They beat DePaul. And DePaul, man, if, if people weren't so happy for Georgetown – they would focus in a little bit more on DePaul still being the ass of the of the Big East, but we're not going to do that for now. Uh, First-year head coach. But Georgetown, man, Primo Spears said something interesting. He said, you know, we've always been there with teams. We're right there with UConn, right there with Xavier. I agree. I feel you, Primo. But you can't go an entire calendar year of close games. Like at some point you got to win those puppies and you just never did, which doesn't necessarily make you uh, because you're close, but lost for the past year, two years, uh, you are significantly worse than every other big, uh, big East team, except for maybe DePaul. Uh, Their first win. When I saw the graphic man, Taylor, when I saw the graphic flash, that it was their first win since 2021 in the big East, it was jarring. You know, when you see something on screen or on paper and you're like, your, your mental calendar just starts flipping and you're like, that, that seems like it was just yesterday, but it's also an eternity ago, 2022, all this stuff happened. When the hell did COVID break? Where were we in, in 2020? Like I, 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 I was racing Taylor. And so I like, I'm happy for Patrick Ewing. I'm happy for Georgetown. But my God, this was this was painful to watch at this juncture uh, of the streak. What were your thoughts on Georgetown finally getting a Big East dub? Well, kind of echoing your thoughts there on the calendar. Imagine where Georgetown is without that like absolutely incredible, miraculous run through the Big East tournament uh, to get to the tournament. Uh, was that yeah in two thousand twenty one? They were they sucked that year too. I mean, they were what was their what was their last Big East regular season win? Oh, <laughs> do you know that? Uh, I mean, I, I didn't want to cut you off. It was in two thousand twenty-one, obviously. Yeah. it was in two thousand twenty. I mean, right? Yeah, obviously the tournament, like you said, their their last uh, was against regular Xavier season. on March. Yeah, March March second, two thousand twenty-one was their last uh, regular season win. Oh, so they uh, built against, up some momentum heading into that conference yeah, tournament against Javier, and then they lost. Then they got smoked by UConn heading into the tournament, uh, into the conference tournament, I should say. Um, yeah, uh, where's the future? I mean, is Ewing's gone after this year, right? Has to be. It has to be. I mean, you can't. Obviously, it's never good to hire or to uh, fire the greatest player in program history or one of the three greatest players in program history along with AI and, and Zoe there. Um, (laughs) Did you watch this DePaul game? I mean, talk about, (laughs) I mean that, you know what, you know what sick, a sicko game is, right? That's been all the trend on uh, sports Twitter this year that that Georgetown DePaul is like an A I I don't follow it, but I, I just know the, the, the term that had to be like an A plus sicko game. If you were sitting there watching that. Like, are you, if you're a Georgetown fan, are you even tuning in for this? Oh, you had to because you were, I think they were favored or maybe only like one and a half point dogs. So when you see that line, two point favorites, you see that and you're like, well, we're at home. I mean, this might be the only win I see the rest of the way. You have to tune in. But when I woke up, Taylor, that morning with the, the drool on my cheek, and I rubbed it off and I opened up my phone and I looked at the slate of games. I was like, I'm hyped for this one. I think Georgetown's going to win this game. You and tweeted I, about it right away. Which is so pathetic. That was my first thought in the day was I think Georgetown's going to beat DePaul in a gutter Big East game. I'm glad that's the type of game that you're willing to finally step out on a limb, put your neck on the line is, is Georgetown DePaul on a 29 game losing streak. That's where we finally get a bet out of Subi is, is on what quite, quite literally could have been the worst major college basketball game of the season. 
I was so happy to have watched it. And the thing is, real quick before we move on, Taylor, Georgetown almost almost pissed it away <laughs> again, man. Georgetown really almost lost that game. I think they missed like five of their last seven free throws, something of that nature. They were up 12 with a minute and a half, two minutes to go, and it ended up being like a three or five point game. My goodness. In front of 3,700 people uh, there uh, at the house that uh, that John Wall built, <laughs> maybe, God. Capital One Arena. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, the depressing Center, part. Right? That's yeah. the depressing uh, part, man. Here's the other thing. They only made Georgetown only made four threes all game. And DePaul got called for 30, 3 0, 30 fouls during the game. There were four, there were 48 combined fouls. It was rough. I, <laughs> I was this one, man. I was kind of peeking in and out because it was on, it was on the wild, even more wild part. It was on FS1. Like it was, well, it was on, like a 5 30 tip, wasn't it? Or six thirty Eastern just, tip. Yeah, I'm. Ju- I'm just saying that, like, it was on FS1, so I was, I was, as I was bopping around watching games. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't stick for a long time on watching this game because there was foul called every, every time I would turn to it. So, oh, um, I, yeah. I had this uh, baby on. Hottest, one of the hottest teams in the country, Georgetown now undefeated in their last, <laughs> in their last game. So, I can't got that deal going with it, man. I, I like, I know I shouldn't be laughing. This is, this is so weird, isn't it, Taylor? Like if we told our parents who admittedly don't give a damn about college basketball, but it's kind of like the reverse of when you say, oh yeah, your kids, you tell you, if you told your, your kids that X, Y, and Z used to happen, uh, they wouldn't believe you. Right. If you told your kids, you used to burn CDs on and and put it played in a walkman they wouldn't believe you this is like the reverse if we told our parents we're yucking it up and cracking jokes about georgetown breaking a two-year conference losing streak they wouldn't believe us you see what i'm saying well i and, and i feel bad doing it but in all seriousness i'm happy for the kids i'm happy for patrick ewing this shouldn't save his job. I'm not, I, I don't want to call for his job, well, but I, well, obviously I, I very much, I very much do forecast and predict that this will be his last season at Georgetown. But I got, look, I'm happy. For, I'm happy for the kids and who knows, you know, maybe they can. And that's the thing uh, to, to your point about the stands. How depressing is that, man? That, that gym used to be rocking with like Jesse Sapp, even uh, Greg Monroe, Roy Hibbert, those those teams were so much fun. And then Steph Steph Curry delivered what I won't say is the death blow. He delivered a near kill shot, and then the ones that drove the stake into their heart, Sherwood Brown, Brett Comer, and Florida Gulf Coast. That is the last we've really heard of Georgetown, and they were a two seed with Otto Porter. It's been terrible since. Sherwood Brown, I'm glad you brought that name up because he is one of those guys on that I have followed on Twitter for quite literally 10 years now uh, at, since that tournament run. And um, it's one guy, a guy that pops into my feed, and I always think to myself, why am I still following Sherwood Brown on Twitter? But I do have a question for you because you did bring up our parents, which I thought was, was uh, great about, oh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Sue, quiz time for you because I think this is far enough back to ask this question. What was the number one song in the country when Georgetown won their last Big East game? March Ooh. 2nd, 2021. So why does it, does this have something to do with our parents? No, I'm just saying it like hearkening back to like oh, talking okay. to them about, you know. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, was it, was it a Drake song? No. Who's the uh, artist? Yeah, I would, it, would the away, artist be so. a giveaway? Twenty twenty one, kind of a one hit wonder. I don't know. Tell me, she. It's a she. Uh, it it's driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo. How does that go? Uh, when you drive al- or I drive alone down your street or whatever. <laughs> I don't uh, even know the song. Bray, uh, yeah, you do. Uh, Stoplights. It's about how she gets her driver's license, and they were supposed to learn how to drive together, and then he broke up with her, and now she's just driving alone on the street. It's a sad song, so I mean, it kind of fits about how like their relationship had ended, which kind of fits for 
Georgetown losing like their next 29 games in the Big East. You know this song. Oh. It was on the radio every five minutes. I'll see if I can splice that in. Uh, but Georgetown, well done. Well done on breaking the streak. Hopefully we can take you seriously now. Uh, Taylor, a few other quick hitters before we get to your bets picks. Amani Bates, 43 points against a pretty good Toledo team on the road. They did lose by five, Eastern Michigan. But Amani Bates, man, exploding for one of the best halves of games, I should say. Do you realize how difficult it is to drop 43 points in 40 minutes of college basketball? Amani Bates did just that. And I'm happy for him because it's been a couple of years. Actually, I feel like since the last time Georgetown won uh, a Big East game, Monty Bates has kind of uh, found himself in some compromising positions and he's taken a lot of heat. I'm glad the kid had a great game and something to hang his hat on because that was truly one of the best individual performances we've seen in some time. Amani Bates is unfortunately an example of why you, I mean, I guess it's just totally hypothetical. So this is just my opinion only, but why you don't, if you have an opportunity to go to a school like Michigan state and play for Tom Izzo, go do that, please. Like don't, I know Memphis, I know the Memphis guys that are a part of, or that listen to our program as well, probably would disagree with this, but don't go play for Penny. I mean, at the, at the time, you know, it's like, Izzo's right there in your backyard. You're a Michigan guy. Um, you know, remember though, this is the second time this year Imani Bates has had a, this type of game. Uh, he went off uh, when they almost beat Michigan uh, in the second game of the year. I think he had 30 points that game. Uh, and it kind of made it look like, oh, this, they only lost by six to, at the time, it was like number five. Was Michigan ranked at the time pretty high? I know I they were they ranked. I, I, don't rem- yeah. I don't remember how high they were, but. Um, where it's like, huh, this Amani Bates might be taking this Eastern Michigan squad like on the up. And then so I subsequently accidentally uh, bet on them like 15 straight times in a row after that. And they lost not not even exaggerating like 15 of the next 16 games after that. Uh, so that was sweet. Um, what what this means for Amani Bates, I don't know. Um, I don't even really know what his draft stock is. Uh, I haven't looked at a, a NBA mock draft in, in a little while. Unfortunately, I had to start my uh, NFL mock drafts way earlier than I generally do, which has thrown off my NBA mock draft coverage. Uh, so that's on me. But um, <laughs> the highlights of this game are pretty hilarious too, because it's pretty much just like, let's see, not to do two football uh, 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 statements in the same uh, in the same breath here, but you know how Kyler Murray used to just say, fuck it, D-hop's down there somewhere, let's chuck it? That's kind of like Amani. The Eastern Michigan must have just been like, yeah, just let, just let Amani have it because he literally took every shot in essentially in the first half. I mean, he scored tw- scoring 27. He scored 29 in the first half, but 27 were consecutively, right? Yeah, that's where you just, you just got to know your place on the team. And, <laughs> yeah. and even as the coach, you got to know what – team you have like if Amani Bates is on a heater first of all this is Amani Bates one of the most one of the bigger names that people know and and the reason why Eastern Michigan is known is probably because of Amani Bates Noah Farrakhan's pretty good too but you just got to know your role even as the coach even as the players it's like look we're, we're not going to feasibly beat Toledo here and if we do it's going to be because Bates gets us five additional points not because he's going to kick it to some guy in the corner and he's going to hit a hit a three to break Amani's 29 straight points, right? You just got to give him the ball. And if you win the game, great. If not, you were there to witness your teammate drop 43. That, that's pretty much what it is for a terrible team like Eastern Michigan. Well, that was kind of the funny part about this because I'm going to push back the, the having the no shot. They were up like 10 or 12 at one point on Toledo. And then just gave it all away. I know we're not huge on win probabilities on this program, but I think it looks like they had like a 90% chance of winning that game at one point and still, still lost by, yeah. And still lost by five. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, Toledo somehow after going through all of this only turned the ball over four times during that game. 
I mean, talk about just like total, total statistical anomalies going on at the same time. It's like the only way you can beat another team in college basketball when their guy goes off for like 50 points is if you never turn the ball over one time, right? So yeah, a couple of statistically, statistical anomalies happening at the same time. Absolutely. I would actually sort of veer away from saying, oh, only because of Eastern Michigan, that sucks for them. What was them? They probably don't do anything on the defensive end to force any turnovers, if we're being honest. I'd love to see how many turnovers are being committed by uh, EMU opponents. But Imani Bates, shine on, young fella. Hopefully we do see your name drafted. Continue the good work, and who knows, maybe we'll see you showing out in the MAC tournament. I, I, I had said Kent State, Toledo. Kent State just had a really tough loss. They were sniffing the top 25, but not this week. Toledo. And uh, I did say uh, Eastern Michigan, even though they're in the gutter, I said they'd provide some theater and they did. They may not win, but they definitely provided some theater. We'll have to go check the, uh, check the receipts on that for the, for the actual wording stuff. Oh, dude, I clipped it. I clipped it. I can I find know, I, know, I know. I'm just, I'm just giving you shit. All right. T uh, New Mexico, Nevada finish from Monday. Did you catch this? If you didn't, it was a up and down few days for Morris Udesi uh, of New Mexico. He got the game winner at home against Boise State on Friday. Turns around, though, goes to Nevada on Monday, rebounds the ball with 16 seconds left. Game's tied, but was definitely fouled by Nevada players. Was not called. So this guy, Udesi, is just getting slapped by Nevada players. Uh, I've, I've definitely seen traps where the refs blow their whistle like that when the Players weren't trying to foul. They were definitely trying to trap. So this was a clear foul. Whether or not they were trying to foul Udeze, it was a foul. Uh, no foul is called on Nevada. And while Udeze is subject to all this, he extends his arm, hits a Wolfpack player in the face, and draws a flagrant, which, by the way, would have not been reviewed, I don't think, had Richard Patino and the Wolfpack, not the Wolfpack, uh, the Lobos, geez, a lot of, a lot of Wolves, uh, had Richard Patino and the Lobos not call timeout in the front court. So Nevada then gets two free throws. They hit one. They then have the ball. Uh, New Mexico has to foul again. Nevada wins the game. Basically, Taylor, and for the listener, if you didn't see this, I think New Mexico got jobbed out of this game. What say you? Yeah, I only caught this on uh, on replay here because uh, I heard it was all a buzz on Twitter. Um, much to do, of course, started by the college theater and college hoops uh, Twitter account um, as well, keeping us up to date on everything. But yeah, I'm completely completely with you. But you also got to uh, mention that this game went to was it double overtime? Single that- overtime. Let me check. I'll have to look. Let me let me run that by the Boise our crack State game. Might have gone the Boise State game. Might have gone double OT. Yeah, I know this one. Nevada, Nevada, ninety-seven. Uh, New Mexico, ninety-four, and double overtime. So yeah, just to add to the add to the excitement there. Yeah, just to add to the fold there. Um, that yeah, I, I college refs, man. I, let's just talk about that for a second. It's almost like what we continue to complain about, like with the reviews and and whatnot. And this was just like all of that on steroids in a way, where it was not only was the review take were the reviews happening, but it's also like we're going into double overtime. This is also like a, at this point, it's like two in the morning on the East coast when this is happening as well, which just adds fuel to this. So um, yeah, I'm with you on the New Mexico jobbing, let's call it it for as good as New Mexico started this year. That's now three losses in their last five or six. Um, I, you know, clearly they weren't going to go undefeated all year. We know that, but definitely something to monitor there because they've come back you want another wolf reference they've come back to the pack a little bit there uh when they really had had started to get off to a lead in conference yeah here's what i will say about new mexico though that i'm still impressed with and i actually am going to buy them to make the tournament maybe win a game or two it's that they did pick themselves up and beat boise state a very good boise state team albeit at home but that's what they're supposed to do they did it and then i i think they should have won this game against nevada and you know, that would have been two straight wins, two gutty wins for New Mexico. So I think they're just fine. I understand the concern, but I think they're just fine, Taylor. Uh, to your point about refs, I don't want the listeners to think that this is an open invitation to say or complain about why your team lost. 
rep, college basketball refs are awful for every single team has absolutely no bearing on your particular team or anyone else. I got Duke fans saying, Oh, the Virginia tech player punched Kyle Filipowski in the throat. Shut up. That was not intentional whatsoever. It was like, like we've seen in the NBA, we've seen in college, a player hit an and one do this little fist pump and hit a ref in the nuts. Are they getting tossed for that? No, because it's clearly accidental. And I know there's some nonsensical loopholes and rules about what a flagrant is and if it's inadvertent or not. For the love of God, just watch the game. This was actually a, a, a hat tip to the refs. They saw the game. They knew the moment. They saw the situation and they didn't call it. I can't believe the amount of people that said that definitely should have been a flagrant, even though he didn't mean to do it. What the hell are you talking about? It was a fist pump. Get the hell out of the way, you big Filipowski. Good Lord. I'm just saying, don't come into my mentions saying that's why Duke lost. All right. To a team that was on a seven game skid. Get better. I love it. God damn. Just getting fired up. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't bring this up when we were shitting on Duke the first time around. Uh, that's two and that's twice now, which I love. Um, yeah. Talk about speaking of like the Mac and how much feet there is in the Mac mountain West, five teams within a game and a half of first place. This is going to be a spicy, a zesty uh, February there in the mountain West, which is great for me because that means when all these games are going at 2 AM Eastern, I'm here, you know, in the mountain West, let's call it uh, watching these games. So I'm, I'm always happy about some, some mountain West theater. I really did my best this year to try and identify a mid-major conference that was going to produce better theater than last year's Mountain West. Turns out it's just going to be the Mountain West again. It might what a just blast have to conference. be the it might just have to be the Mountain West award at this point. Yeah, and they also <laughs> like and and speaking of them, same discussion we had last year too. The Mountain West are they sneaky better than the Pac-12? Pac-10? I'd probably take a look. whatever I'd, I'd, whatever we're calling it now. I would take some Mountain West teams. I would take a lot of Mountain West teams over Pac-12 teams not named Arizona and UCLA. Right. I, I, I would do that. So uh, the Mountain West has been a lot of fun, though. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say this. I don't know if this is a bad reflection on me. Very well could be. My pick to win the Mountain West, Wyoming, is in dead last. And I'm going to say that in protection of me in saying that a legitimate viable, this is how good the conference is, a legitimately viable pick for, they weren't the favorite, but a legitimately viable pick to win the conference is in last place right now. I think that's an indicator of how good the conference is. And just to compare it to, um, I mean, UNLV started off pretty well, and there's a second to last uh, in that conference. Um, yeah, I, uh, I so much theater out there in the Mountain West. I, I bet Cal would still be there in last place in the Pac-12. I bet you Cal would still be in last place in the Mountain West if we're comparing those two conferences. Oh, undoubtedly, Cal's yeah. just a terrible basketball team. Yeah, They'd be so, last, dead last in a lot of conferences. So yeah, the MIAC, the yeah, the they might South do all right Miami. in the WAC. That's the second WAC reference that we've yeah. had. <laughs> but uh, Taylor, I want to get quick thoughts on what you're looking forward to this upcoming weekend, any game that you have your eye on? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously a lot of good games, a lot of important games coming up in college basketball, as we've kind of started to talk about college basketball hits its stride this time of year. And I'm actually going to go with two games that I'm looking forward to most because they're at different times. So I got to point out some different games here. Xavier, a team that just had a great win uh, over UConn on the road. They travel to Omaha this weekend oh you know Creighton's not ranked at this point and we're still kind of having that discussion of is, is Creighton going to turn it on you know obviously a, a team that was thought of very highly throughout the first half of the year uh so I'm looking forward to that one that's uh that's the early games there uh and then the second one I'm going to go with the orange teams Texas Tennessee how do you not tune into that one and that's prime time on ESPN uh two teams that have the sky is the limit for each of them, even Texas without Chris Beard. Uh, I think there's a legitimate debate that when they get to the tournament, you know, are they going to miss Chris Beard? I would say probably yes, obviously, because you don't just lose your head coach and, um, you know, have the same ceiling necessarily. But Tennessee, uh, another win, uh, was it last night? Did they beat Mississippi State? Um, and Georgia. beat them by or Georgia, excuse me, and beat the shit out of them too, by 29. So 
uh, a team that we continually talk about as being great on this program. And they've started, you know, the Sharks not here to, to kind of let us know about the ins and outs of the program. But, you know, they put, they've started to play a little better offensively a little bit. I mean, they couldn't really have played worse offensively than they were. But uh, so Texas, Tennessee, for sure, the battle of the UTs uh, and the UTs, the orange UTs. I could probably phrase that a little better. But, yeah, those are my two games for this weekend I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, got a shout out Chris Lofton over Kevin Durant. That's an iconic moment in that rivalry. And of course, the Rick Barnes Bowl, right? Rick Barnes is the one that shared shared campus uh, between Austin and Knoxville. I'm looking forward to that game also. I'm also looking forward to the epic Blue Blood matchup, Kansas at Kentucky. Remember what happened last year when Kentucky waltzed into Lawrence and beat the hell out of Kansas. And Kansas has actually been on the receiving end of some beatdowns here recently. They got smoked by TCU. Um, so let's see how Kansas now responds going into Rupp. Kentucky is still desperate, in my opinion. They've turned a corner and they're ascending, but I think they still have that desperation on them where they're saying, hey, we're not too far removed from when people were showing up to the stadium telling Calipari to go leave for the Texas job. So I actually think Kansas's streak is going to continue in terms of losing. I think they, they will lose in Kentucky, but again, not selling on Kansas, not selling on Bill Self, not selling on Dewan Harris. Kansas-Kentucky is going to be a hell of a matchup, though. It always is. Two of the best arenas in Lawrence and, and Lexington, two best coaches, uh, two two amazing programs. There's really not much more I need to say about this matchup. And this would be an example of maybe instead of writing a team off, writing a team on, like if Kentucky wins this game, they're off the bubble. They're they're in. Well, so the, I, I take I take exception to that because if you you can't write a team on, that okay. means you wrote them off at some point. All right, I never wrote Kentucky off. I picked them as my SEC champion. I don't know if they're going to win the SEC, but I had enough confidence in them to be like, yes, I trust a Hall of Famer in John Calipari. I trust Case and Wallace. I trust Oscar Shibway. Toppins here and there. Xavier Wheeler's getting limited minutes. I trust these guys to at least turn it around. Now, if they're going to be a threat like a, a final four threat, probably not, but they could get to a second weekend still to write them on means you wrote them off. And that means okay. I don't want I, you anywhere near me. I, I just didn't write them at all. I guess at this okay. point, I, I, and maybe writing them on means I'm writing them in my bracket to at least uh, win a game or two. So, but Kentucky is 11 and one at home this year. Um, obviously no matter how good or bad Kentucky is, um, they're going to win a lot of games at Rupp. That goes without saying. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Kansas reeling, uh, Kentucky really kind of looking for a signature win this year. Uh, I, I like where you're going with that. Fun games coming up. Last two items before we get to your picks, Taylor. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, a food delivery person was on the court between Duquesne and Loyola Chicago on Wednesday night. Absurd Loyola Chicago. That might be the highlight of Loyola Chicago's year. Uh, but that was just a hysterical visual to see. And then, of course, the Kisatich tea. We harped on UMass uh, Lowell, your great thing. And what do they do? They lose to Maine. Yeah. Uh, and Kansas State lost, too. But, you know, I was, all all about right. the, I was all about the purple teams on last program. But, yeah, UMass Lowell, I'm sorry. That's on me. Iowa State's nasty. So that's okay that Kansas State lost. But UMass Lowell losing to Maine, that is a direct result of your good thing. But it is time now for your picks. Let's get to get in my belly. Taylor, we're back, man. Hug for you. I'm happy that you're back. Kansas State plus five against Iowa State. Yes. TCU minus six and a half against Oklahoma. I believe without Eddie Lampkin, I texted the guys. I was like, why is this number at six and a half? I got a really good response, but they beat the hell out of Oklahoma. TCU covers that easily. Kentucky minus three and a half at Vanderbilt. They cover that easily. I think they won by 15. Winning ways are back. How you feeling, man? Before you dive into your picks. Good for you. You know, I, I just want to point out something that I said on last uh, our last program. I don't care about going two and one and one and two. I'd rather go zero oh and three and three and zero oh because again, I'm a parlay guy. I'm parlaying all these get together. I'm not trying to make you the listener fifty bucks at a time that you're just going to turn around and lose on the next game anyway. Most of these parlays pay out between you know plus five seventy five or plus six hundred if you're just taking kind of even money on them. So you're looking at hundred dollars. 
for for a seven hundred dollar payout, a six hundred dollar winnings. You know, I mean, that's that's real tangible money that you can use. So that's what we're trying to do here. We're it's an all or nothing approach, or as I like to call it, trying to hit the home run uh, each week. So let's do that again tomorrow, and let's start off with a team that's near and dear to my heart, the Arizona Wildcats, headed on the road to the Palouse, to Washington State, and. They're only favored by five, which to me seems quite low. I think the, may, the line may have just changed to five and a half. It did change to five and a half. So if we would have recorded this an hour ago, I would have got a better line. So what but are we locking you in at? Five? Five and a half. Five and a half. Five and so, a half. All right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not only is Arizona just straight up better than Washington State, but it's also a, re a revenge game as well. So uh, factor those two things in. And I think Arizona wins that one pretty comfortably. Uh, I'm going to go with another team that I always uh, have a lot of love for, and that's the number one team in the land, Purdue, uh, headed on the road to Michigan. Michigan is just uh, another team I can't put my finger on, a team that I am just absolutely not a fan of at all this year. Um, and Purdue, I mean, what is there what is there to say about Purdue that we don't already know, right? I mean, they are – the best team in the country, arguably. They've got the national player of the year. And anytime they're going to go and play, whether it's at home or on the road, um, a team that's just slightly above 500, especially a team that just doesn't really excel at anything, uh, I'm going to go with Purdue. So that line's also five and a half as well. Another line that has changed during this program. And uh, we're going to go to a smaller school. I think this is the newest D1 college program. Uh, St. Thomas, Minnesota, they're at home uh, against the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. Uh, St. Thomas undefeated at home this year, and this game is a pick em. So I'm going to roll uh, with the Tommies of St. Thomas there. Um, actually, an they have an incredible athletic facility uh, due to one of their donors, uh, just pretty much kind of like Grand Canyon did a couple of years ago where Jerry Colangelo came in and was just like, Hey guys, you want like hundreds of millions of dollars to start like a real basketball, real athletic program. And they were like, yeah, cool. Same thing with St. Thomas, a beautiful facility there, a beautiful team too. Uh, and keeping my trend of taking at least one purple team uh, in my picks. Uh, so St. Thomas at home, a pick them against South Dakota state, Arizona on the road by five and a half at Washington state and Purdue on the road at Michigan by five and a half. That and let me just let me just point out too, just to make this more clear, that's a hundred dollars to return seven hundred and eleven dollars right now. That's that's like a third of a mortgage payment right there. That's real money. There you go. Circling back to hey, the hey, top of the conversation. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But again, that's just your passion and you you brought that in seamlessly. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead and get on out of here with some good things. I'll start this time. Let's head on over to the Atlantic Sun Conference. When you think of the Ace Sun in the tournament, you usually think Liberty and Richie McKay. But I'm going to go with another team who's tied with Richie McKay at the top of that conference. That's the Kennesaw State Owls. All right. Kennesaw State, man. Good for these guys. They are, like I said, tied with Liberty at the top at 7-1, 15-6 overall. They only play Liberty once this year, February 16th, and guess where that's at? That's at home, baby. That is at home. They don't have to travel to Liberty. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read their record, as a matter of fact, from 2009 when they became a D1 program. 13-20 next year, 8-23 next year, 3-28. Following year, three and twenty-seven. After that, six and twenty-five. In fourteen, fifteen, they were ten and twenty-two. After that, eleven and twenty. After that, fourteen and eighteen. After that, ten and twenty. After that, six and twenty-six. In two thousand nineteen, they were one and twenty-eight. During the COVID year, five and nineteen. Last year, thirteen and eighteen. And then just out of nowhere, this year they're fifteen and six. I, I read those to hammer home the point and tell you how bad those teams really were under really good coaches like Al Skinner, who may have been a little bit past his prime. Sure. But I want you to rewind 
and listen to some of those records because they were abysmal. My good thing is Kennesaw State. They're having a wonderful, magical year. I hope they can keep this up and get to their conference title game. Maybe we'll see them in the tournament because that would be something after all of those terrible, terrible, terrible years to see them as a 16 seed. That's my good thing, Kennesaw State. Well, Sue, remember a, a, a piece of this program we used to do where we realized how old we are? Let's talk about Dewan Wagner's son, DJ Wagner, who is a McDonald's All-American. And I know we don't talk about recruiting all that much on this program, but this DJ Wagner, his son, has committed to Kentucky. And it's kind of cool because the uh, McDonald's All-American uh, game um, uh, participant list just came out this week. And Milt Wagner, Dewan Wagner, and DJ Wagner are becoming the first grandfather, father, son trio to all play in the McDonald's All-American game. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Dewan Wagner played for uh, Memphis, right? And then uh, um, Milt. Is it Milt or Wilt? Milt. Milt. <laughs> Any old basketball player's name, Wilt. No, Milt uh, played at uh, Louisville, and then DJ uh, came down to either Louisville or Kentucky and picked Kentucky. So, uh, but pretty cool. I mean, talk about a basketball lineage. Would suck to be the son that didn't go to the All American game or the cousin or the whatever. Those family pickup games must be wild. Uh, but yeah, pretty cool to, to have that kind of trio. Three generations of, of Burger Boys, as as the Twitter guys would call them. Yeah, the family business. I love that. And Dewan Wagner would have been an issue in the NBA. If he didn't run up against some scary health problems, I'm glad that he's all right. Got that figured out. Really looking forward to his son playing well and, and showing out. So I like that three generations. That is insane. Taylor, let's go ahead, get on out of here for the week. I want you to enjoy the games. I want you to enjoy the theater and Hey, we'll catch you next time here on theater and college hoops.